This is an ABC podcast. I'm looking at this little picture of you on FaceTime, Norman, and the towel that you have over your head looks pretty manky today. Yeah, I couldn't find the clean one, but it's pretty revolting under here. I'm, you know, I'm just sacrificing myself so that we don't get echo on my microphone, but if I expire during Coronacast, you can take over. That's right. It's the most high-tech recording booth I think I've ever seen used uh, on an ABC program. It absolutely just wrecks my hair. <laughs> Well, this is Coronacast and I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday the 23rd of March 2022. Norman, at the beginning of the year we were being told to expect a high peak. We were reopening at the same time as Omicron was really taking off and we saw it. We saw a really high peak in case numbers that then dropped off. Now we're seeing another peak and it's like the least fun roller coaster I've ever been on. And I guess my question to you today is why are we seeing these big peaks and troughs in case numbers in coronavirus in Australia and when can I get off this bloody ride? Really what you're seeing here is the fragility and instability of the pandemic. The pandemic is not over. And yep, we had a steep rise with Omicron, steep fall, and the steep fall was because large numbers of people were infected and large numbers of people were vaccinated, fall, BA2 comes in significantly more infectious, probably mostly to do with the virus itself being more infectious. And Brendan Crabb, who runs the Burnett Institute in Melbourne, talked about the R0 the other day. Do you remember what the R0 is, um, Tegan? Yeah, it's the number of people that an infected person would be likely to pass the virus on to in an otherwise kind of controlled, no previous immunity situation. That's right, no vaccine, no nothing. And with Wuhan, it was, how many people did you pass it on to? Can you remember? I want to say 2.4? Yeah, 2.4, 2. 2.7. Um, Brendan Crabb reckons the R0 for BA2 is 12, oh. which is extraordinary. Measles is 15. Something like that. That's sort yeah. of the most infectious virus that we kind of use as a, as a measuring stick, isn't it? It's, it's very infectious. Now, it's slightly artificial because we've got vaccines, people have been infected, and also coronavirus spreads in clusters but nonetheless it also it does show how infectious it is and it's going to go up and it's going to go down very quickly but this is the roller coaster we're on now it could go down and stay down for a long time because BA3 might be might amount to nothing or is there a BA3 there is a BA3 yes there's a third child in the family BA3 which is just sitting there in the background doesn't seem to be doing very much. It's very demure. It's like the lesser-known Hemsworth brother. That's right. <laughs> Who knows what's around the corner? Delta Cron doesn't seem to be doing anything, but there's probably another variant there. But th this is what can happen, is that you have this rapid rise and rapid fall, and it is significant. And it's significant when it comes to the story of this, the terrible story of this two-year-old who died in Sydney the other day of COVID with no pre-existing condition. Now, this is an incredibly rare event internationally, certainly unprecedented in Australia. So parents listening should know that this is incredibly rare. The trouble is, let, let's just imagine for a moment that it's a 1 in 10,000 chance. It's probably even rarer than that, but let's just go with 1 in 10,000. If it's a 1 in 10,000 chance that a two-year-old with COVID-19 dies, if there are only a few hundred cases each day, you're not going to see a 1 in 10,000 event, unless you're very, very unlucky. But if you've got tens of thousands of cases every week, at the moment we've got about 40-odd thousand, and they're mostly in, in the younger age groups, then you will see these very rare events occurring. And that's, we think this is a harmless situation when we've got this roller coaster, but this is one of the side effects 
of that roller coaster. And you know, the next time a variant comes along, we may benefit from the fact that we've had these roller coasters in the past, or we may not. Without getting too much into this particular case, what sort of treatments are available for kids who get really sick with COVID? The situation with children is there are a lot of off-label drug, off-label drugs, meaning that they haven't been tested in children, and these antivirals have not been tested in children. But the bottom line here is on a case-by-case basis, if a paediatric intensive care unit gets a very sick child who might die, um, certainly goes on to the ventilator, they, they will try those out. And in fact, the international guidelines have said for some time now that on a case-by-case basis, paediatric intensive care doctors should actually consider the use of the antivirals, even though they haven't been properly tested in children. So what is the answer here? What should Australia be doing differently to to smooth these curves out? I think the appetite for restrictions has declined dramatically since the beginning of the pandemic. Tragic circumstances like this are sort of occurring, but the day-to-day of people's lives, they're just really desperate to get back to something that looks a bit more like normal. Yes, and you can understand that. The trouble is the more virus you've got circulating, the more likely you are to get a variant being, being produced. And it Southern Africa or Sub-Saharan Africa is not unique in the ability to produce variants. You could get a new variant coming out of Australia where the virus, again, a rare event, goes into somebody who's on cancer chemotherapy, it stays in their body, and by the role of the play of chance, uh, a new variant emerges from them. That's what happened in Southern England with the Alpha variant. So these things can happen anywhere in the world when you've got large amounts of virus circulating. So we do have to try and slow it down. And West Australia is actually quite an interesting example of slowing it down. What, what's happening there? Well, what's happening there, the steepness of their rise is slower than they predicted. They're not reaching their peak. And you say, well, is this continuing the pain? But it is slowing down. They've got reasonably high third dose rates compared to the rest of Australia. So that's helping. So they're getting some recent immunity there from their third doses. That's not necessarily going to last that long, but it's helping at the moment. And they're wearing masks in larger numbers probably than other parts of Australia. And masks do help to slow this down. And you don't want to get, unless you can avoid it, a natural infection with COVID. Yeah, because in addition to being sick, which is not pleasant, potentially getting seriously ill or or dying from the the virus, which we know is less common with Omicron, but it's not not happening. There's also the chances of prolonged or sort of sequelae, basically is what they call it, these these conditions that happen after the acute infection. And some of them are pretty surprising. They are. So we've talked about heart disease, so the, the heart effects of COVID, even without necessarily long COVID symptoms, are significant that people can get effects on their heart. And then just a recent study from the United States is showing an increased risk of diabetes in the year following the infection. And this is a very large study in the Veterans Administration in the United States. And they've followed about 4 million people. And so it's not a small study and found that the risk is about 40% higher of diabetes. And the people who've got diabetes, their diabetes gets a bit worse. Not entirely clear why that happens. It could be multiplicity of reasons. It could be that the virus attacks the cells in the pancreas, which produce insulin. It could be that your whole metabolic state goes off a bit. You eat more, you don't get as much exercise. 
and that could explain why anti-diabetes drug use goes up, so the burden of diabetes goes up. It, ju it just goes to show that it's not just necessarily the effects of the virus, it could be the effects of the virus on lifestyle. And yet again, a long-term risk of this virus, which you don't get when you're vaccinated. It feels like this stuff about the ongoing effects of COVID, like these long COVID systems, seems to be coming through in a really piecemeal way. I, I do wonder when we're going to have a really clear picture about the entirety of the sorts of risks that a COVID infection is exposing people to. Well, there are a few what are called cohort studies going on around the world, including one in Australia run by Professor Greg Dore of the Kirby Institute. And they try to publish results, these various cohort studies publish results as they go along so that the latest information is there. But, but the information is evolving as, as time goes on. And of course, the situation changes with vaccination, changes with different variants. And so th this is not the same pandemic as it was two years ago, almost to the day when we locked down Australia. Can we talk about vaccination then? Because vaccination was the, the goal for a really long time in Australia. First doses, second doses, now we're talking about third doses. And Israel is one country that has gone ahead and done fourth doses in people. What do we know about how much of a return you get on that fourth dose if you're still vaccinating with something that was designed against the original Wuhan strain? Last week in the New England Journal of Medicine, they published a letter looking at fourth doses in health workers, particularly younger health workers. And what they were looking at particularly was the chances of being infected and therefore passing it on. And what they showed was with Omicron, the protection against infection really does drop quite dramatically. So if you remember rightly with Delta and previous variants, the protection against infection was really quite high, 60, 70, 80% with the mRNA vaccines drops down to maybe 30% with Omicron and then wanes fairly quickly. And so they gave these um, health workers a fourth dose. And what they found was that the antibodies, so-called neutralizing antibodies from the fourth dose, went up to the level, went back to the level that they were with the third dose. And it just shows you how important the third dose is. But the protection against infection wasn't that impressive. So they came to the conclusion that at least with younger people, there's probably not at the moment a strong argument for fourth doses because they're, not, they're probably reasonably well protected against severe disease still with the third dose and not too vulnerable. And Israel has focused on the over 65s. And that's probably the way we're going to go in Australia is that eventually the fourth dose will be available to the over 65s. Right. So protecting the people who's, who are most vulnerable and perhaps whose immune systems are the least agile. Yeah, and focusing on what these these vaccines were designed to do, which is prevent severe disease. They actually weren't designed to prevent infection. It's been a happy side effect in the earlier variants of the virus, and that's losing effectiveness as time goes on. But if you take the Western Australian situation, a relatively freshly vaccinated population, they are getting some help on infection control. Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast for this week. That's right, we're weekly again now. And I just wanted to say thank you so much to all of you who've stuck with us, still listening. We've kept you on your toes this year with going to three days a week and now weekly. We really do appreciate you. And please, if you want to ask us a question or leave us a comment, you always can do that at abc.net.au slash coronacast. We'll see you next Wednesday. See you then. See you then.